Welcome to Tuesday Night Torah Study. So um, we're working our way through the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and I don't know how, how you are all feeling about this, but Deuteronomy is a really exciting book to me because it's just old Moses pouring his heart out, you know. He, he knows God's told him he's not going to live much longer, and he's trying to tell the Israelites everything they need to know so that they don't uh, fall into the traps that we know that they did. <laughs> so it's really a, a pretty neat uh, neat book to go through. Last week, we, um, well, let's see, the, the couple of weeks ago, we went through the second telling of the Ten Commandments. We had some fun discussions on those. Last week, beg your pardon? I'm sorry, that's a very good point. Let me, thank you for reminding me. Let me open in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that uh, found time in their schedule to come out and look at your word. And you tell us that uh, um, you'll reward us if we diligently seek you. And certainly coming out on a Tuesday evening to study your word is diligently seeking you. Help us to, uh, to listen to one another and to listen to what you're saying in our hearts that we might uh, learn, to, uh, learn to know you a little better, learn to know how you'd like us to behave, the things you'd like us to do and help us to know more fully how much you love us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, thank you for reminding me. I don't want to miss that. So anyway, like I was saying, we had a pretty good time discussing the Ten Commandments, and then we went to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, where the Shema is, and we had fun with that. I thought all this stuff is good. And again, everywhere I look, I keep getting uh, hit with Moses emotions. He's just very emotional about this. I was looking today, we're going to run across another time where he said, uh, he says, um, if you if you fall into the trap of worshiping other gods, I will bear witness that God has told you about this and that you shouldn't do this, or words to that effect. And this is at least the second, maybe the third time we've seen it in just the first seven chapters. So he's really trying to help the Israelites understand what the problems are that they're going to face. And we'll run into that some more uh, as we move on. Anyway, last week we finished with, uh, we finished Parashah uh, 46, I'm sorry, 45, which got us through half of chapter 7 in Deuteronomy. And so I'd like to finish, or I'd like to start with the last half of chapter 7 and move on and see how far we get, if that's okay. That's by the way, I, I feel sometimes I should say that um, traditionally people study the Torah on the, the cycle, you know, where they study a specific portion every week. And we chose not to do that. We chose because sometimes some of the weeks, the discussions get a little full and we don't finish. And you have to move ahead. And people were feeling like they missed stuff. So what we've chosen to do is to just study it for the length of time that we have, and then we pick up next week where we left off. So anyway, where we left off last week was uh, halfway through chapter 7, and we're chapter, verse 11 of chapter 7 was the last thing we read. So I'm going to see if I can get someone to read from verse 12 to the end of chapter 7. Anybody want to volunteer to do that? We get a James Earl Jones over here, we'll do that. 
Thank you very much, Alfonso. Can you repeat that where we at again? No, it's okay. Chapter 7, starting in verse 12 and going to the end of the chapter. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and it shall be, because you hear these right rulings, and shall guard and do them, that Yahuwah, your Elohim, shall guard with you the covenant and kindness which you swore to your fathers, and shall love you and barak you and increase you, and shall barak the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine, and your oil, the increase of the cattle and the offspring of your flock, and the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Baruch are you above all peoples. There is not going to be a barren man or a barren woman among you or among your livestock. And Yahuwah shall turn away from you all sickness and put on you none of the evil diseases of Mitzrayim, which you have known. But he shall put them on all those who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples whom Yahweh your Elohim is delivering over to you. Your eyes shall not pardon them. And do not serve their mighty ones, for that is a snare to you. When you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, I am unable to drive them out. Do not be afraid of them. Remember what Yahuwah your Elohim did to Pharaoh and to all Mitzrayim, the great trials which your eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, the strong hand and the outstretched arm by which Yahuwah your Elohim brought you out. Yahweh your Elohim does so to all the peoples of whose presence you are afraid. And Yahweh your Elohim also sends the hornet among them to those who are left, who hide themselves from you, are destroyed. Do not be afraid of them, for Yahweh your Elohim, the great and awesome El, is in your midst. And Yahweh your Elohim shall drive out those nations before you, little by little. You are not allowed to destroy them at once lest the beast of the field become too numerous for you. But Yahweh your Elohim shall deliver them over to you and destroy them with a great destruction until they are consumed. And he shall give their sovereigns into your hand, and you shall destroy their name from under the Shamayim. No one is going to be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their mighty ones you are to burn with fire. Do not covet the silver or gold that is on them nor take it for yourselves, lest ye be snared by it. For it is in an abomination to Yahweh your Elohim. And do not bring an abomination into your house, lest you be accursed like it. Utterly loathe it and utterly hate it, for it is accursed. Great. That's great. Boy, you know, I'm always amazed at the difference in uh, in translations. Yours, yours has got some interesting words in there. But it's fun because you can... You can get every single phrase. You know, if you follow along carefully, they're just different words. Like yours used Barak instead of blessed, right? And mine says blessed all the time. But, you know, once you kind of pick up on that, uh, it's fine. Um, it's actually my view on that is you read the Bible that uh, speaks to you. You know, that's, that's the one, yeah. Um, let's see. So let's go back and talk about that a minute. Um, according to verses 12 through 15, what are some of the benefits that the people, the Israelites, are going to get by following God's laws, God's commands? What are some of the benefits that they're going to get by following God's commands? No sickness. That's like, one of them. No like sickness. On, like on the Egyptians? Mm-hmm. Yep. Increase your numbers. Take the, bless the, the fruit of your womb, your crops. Take the land. You're going to get new grain, or new wine, 
and all your herds and flocks are going to be um, fruitful. Keep you free from every disease. You know, one of the things I've read this, and we've actually read this two or three times, where he talks about, I'll inflict on you none of the diseases that you, that that he kind of implies, that I inflicted upon the Egyptians. So it makes you wonder, or at least it does me, I wonder what kind of diseases ran rampant in Egypt that they're not going to have. Cancer. You think? Maybe I don't know. We can't say cancer because it's it's a it's a uh, copyrighted. Okay, copyrighted word. Okay, <laughs> but anyway, I just wonder sometimes. It says, "I will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but He will inflict them on those who hate you." And so, um, so I have some questions. Sure, go ahead. So I looked on. I've got a list on my other website. Mm-hmm. All the commandments. The 613 commandments, which is debatable what those are and all that, but they list all the commandments that we're supposed to do. Here it says, I will do this. I will do that. I will do that. It's not an option for Yahweh. If we are in compliance with the sacred contract with him, he is duty-bound to do this. Yep. Not an option. Yep. yep. You know, we're the bond servant. He's the bond master. Yep. And- so... And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be wrong to say that. You know, it's, it's not being, it's not, obviously I'm being respectful. Obviously I have recognized I have to do my part. Yes. But if I do my part, I expect these things to happen. Well, he said they will. Yes. And not only that. To not do that would be to not trust him. Yeah. And not only, I was going to say, if there's anybody whom you can trust, it's got to be him. Right. So, in God what, we trust, everybody else plays gold, right? <laughs> there you go. They, they, obviously, it all depends on us keeping the commands. And we know from subsequent history that that didn't happen. But I tell you what, it's not for lack of Moses telling them. Because it's the same song over and over and over again in Deuteronomy. Hi, Randon. Um, yeah, he says it a lot. Um, what what can the Israelites expect as they face these peoples in the land that are stronger than they are? Well, he admits that they're afraid of them in their yep. heart. Yep. But to, to overcome it. To well, overcome he, say, it. he says, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to do it. Right? That's what he says. He says, uh, uh, verse 17, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? Do not be afraid of them. Remember well that Yahweh your God, what he did to Pharaoh and all Egypt, you saw with your own eyes. The great trials, miraculous signs, wonders, and a mighty hand and outstretched arm, which Yahweh your God brought you out. Yahweh your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, Yahweh your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you perish. So he's basically saying, I'll take care of this. I got this. Mm-hmm. Great confusion, yep. So why did God say that he was going to allow them to take the land little by little? Okay. Because if they took it all at once, that they wouldn't know what to do with it. And also, you know, he said... 
so that they could settle in the land, so that they could take it little by little, and you know, because the beast of the field would increase. Now, I was wondering if you're going to get to that. What it really says is, if I let you take it all at once, the you, beasts will the, take the, over. The, the, you know, there it would be devastated, and the wild animals would take over, and then you'd have to go take care of them. Right. So I'm just going to let you take it a little at a time, so that they don't uh, they don't take over the land. And as you're unable to because you're few and haven't figured it out yet, I'm putting that in, of course. But the <laughs> it's kind of true. It says, mine says, you will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, the question, they say, why the Israelites will take the land little by little? Because they go in the process to clean themselves, to clean their hearts, to clean the way to eat. they eat, clean many things. Because they be test, tested all 40 years, you know. Mm-hmm. All the, the ones get inside the land is the people obeying him. Mm-hmm. Obeying, obeying was... Uh, um, somebody asking a question today. Why is the Levite chosen for be the the priest? Is because they demonstrated him. They are obeying, and they when um, the sister of then Dina be raped, Levite stand up with Ch- uh, with the Shimon, mm-hmm, and they go kill the people. You know, and the second time they stand up is when the uh, people make the idol, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. most, uh, Moshe asking, who stand with me? They, the first yep. stand with him because they come in, protect the word of God. Yeah. That way be choosing because okay. they're obeying. Okay, so your your point is, is they're taking it little by little because some of them are are more obedient than others? Is that what you're saying? No, it's because they go in process. Some people don't mature at the same time to the others. You know, maturity in their mind, in their soul. It's when you have a child, I have a four okay. children, they're growing up different. Okay, so you all you're, what you're saying is everybody's on a different path and they're not all the same place. Okay, yeah, well, that's all right. The, as far as um, the Levites showing themselves, um, oh, what do you want to say, more... Uh, ardent for keeping the commands. That's that's definitely what uh, God said to them during the uh, the incident with the idol with the golden calf. But I don't know that I'd go so far as uh, Levi and Simon because they seem to be you know when Joseph was blessing his sons, he didn't bless those two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, but. That's okay. We're, it's not an argument, but that's all right. Your point's still well taken. But I just want to say this, though, mm-hmm. that that when he blesses them at the end, he reverses that when Moshe does that at the end. The other thing is he says that when they went into the land, they were of one heart. That's what it says in there. And there where? It says it at the end of Devarim. Okay, I'll, I'll let you find that. So, okay. I mean, that, it's it's not a big deal. One way well, I mean, you know, I'm just saying that they they were pretty prepared at the time. 
Well, I'm not saying that they didn't fall apart They ought to later. be prepared because, number one, they had 40 years to get prepared. Right. And number two, they were the offspring of the of the ones that weren't. Of the ones that weren't. Yeah. So I'll give you that. So, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, then what's he warned about at the end of that little section more than anything else? And this is the same morning he's had all along with respect to their, uh, what does it say? I'll just read it here and you can figure it out pretty quickly. Verse, uh, starting in verse 23, he says, But Yahweh your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will give their kings into your hand, and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you. You will destroy them, the images of their gods. You are to burn in the fire. Do not covet the silver and the gold on them, and do not take for yourselves or you will be ensnared by it, for it is detestable to Yahweh your God. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly abhor and detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. I don't know how you can get more plain than that. Could you? (laughs) You were talking about translations difference, Mm -hmm. and mine had some. Go for it. Well, could you read 24 over again? My 24, my verse. Let me read so I can actually see the thing. I probably made it up. He will give their kings into your hand, and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. Okay, never mind. Okay. I didn't hear the word king there. Okay. No one will be able to stand up against you. I think the thing that I was really wanting to kind of point up is, do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction, utterly abhor and detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. That's a that's a very specific term that God uses. Uh, it's it's uh, I think the Hebrew term is karim, um, and it's it's an item that's been given to God. It's exactly what it says: set apart for destruction. And what is He saying here? Has been set apart for destruction. The idols. The idols. Yep. I could even think you might even say the people. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Any other thoughts before we move to chapter 8? Okay. Would somebody like to read, let's see, 8's not a very long chapter. It's only 19 verses, 20 verses. I'd like to read chapter 8. There's some really fun stuff in there. You want to read chapter 8? Yeah. Then you don't get to editorialize in the middle. I'm just teasing. Oh, darn. darn. Okay, let's see. The entire commandment that I command you today, you shall observe to perform so that you may live and increase and come and possess the land that Hashem swore to your forefathers. You shall remember the entire road on which Yahweh your God, led you these 40 years in the wilderness so as to afflict you, to test you, to know what is in your heart, whether you should whether you would observe his command commandments or not. He afflicted you and let you hunger, whether you would observe his commandments or not. Wait, and let you hunger. <laughs> then fed you the manna that you did not know, nor did your forefathers know, in order to make you know that not by bread alone does man live, rather by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does man live. Your garment did not wear out, 
upon you, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that just as a father will chastise his son, so, so Yahweh Elohecha will chastise you. And you shall observe the commandments of Yahweh Elohecha to go in his ways and to fear him. For Yahweh Elohecha is bringing you to the good land, a land that streams with, of water, of springs and underground water coming forth, coming forth in valley and mountain, a land of wheat, barley, grape, fig, and pomegranate, a land of olive oil, olive oils and date honey, a land where you will eat without poverty. You will lack nothing there. The land whose stones are iron and from those whose mountains you will mine copper. You will eat and you will be satisfied and bless Yehovah Elohecha for the good land that he gave you. Take care lest you forget Yehovah Elohecha by observing, by not observing his commandments, his ordinances and his decrees, which I command you today lest you eat and be satisfied and you build good houses and settle and your cattle and sheep and goats increase and you increase silver and gold for yourselves and everything that you will have and everything you have will increase and your heart will become haughty and you will forget Yehovah Elohecha who took you out of the land of Mitzrah from the land house of slavery who leads you through the great and awesome wilderness of snake, fiery serpent, and scorpion, and thirst where there was no water, who brings forth water from you for, from the rock of flint, who feeds you manna in the wilderness, which your forefathers knew not, in order to afflict you and in order to test you to, to do good for you in the end. And you will say in your heart, My strength The strength of my hand made me all this wealth. Then you shall remember Yahweh Elohecha, that it was he who gives you strength to make wealth in order to establish his covenant that he swore to your forefathers as this day. It shall be that if you forget Yahweh Elohecha and go after the gods of others and worship them and prostrate yourself to them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish like the nations that Yehovah causes to perish before you. And so you will perish because you will not have hearkened to the voice of Yehovah Elohecha. You can, I, I can't hardly read that chapter without getting emotional. I mean, I poor old Moses, is, he's really saying, you guys, this is really important. And he, it's like he knows. It's, it's like he knows they're not going to be able to do this, you know. But let's go back to the beginning because there's some great stuff in this chapter. Um, so he says, be careful to follow the commands that I'm giving you today so, so that you can live and increase and may possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, right? That He says later and he said before, he says, I'm not doing this because you guys deserve it. I'm doing it because of a promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That's why I'm doing it. But verse 2, one day this just really flashed out at me. Remember how Yahweh your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years 
to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Okay. So what's the purpose of testing? It says right there. To prove it. To prove yourself. Yeah. Well, it's to know what's in your heart. Okay. The question that popped out to me, the thing that just hit me like a light bulb is, does God know what's in your heart? Of course he does. So who gets to know what's in their heart? You do. We do. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's exactly what this is telling you. I mean, it's not like you have to pass a test so that he can see whether or not what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart. But you don't know what's in your heart. I don't know. I'm going to push back. You don't buy it. Well, push back. I want you to push back on that. I'm happy to have you push back. Well, th- we're we're going back to the the age old question of uh, what was the guy's name? Calvin. The predestination well, I, versus I would, free will. I would say he knows what kind of capacity you have in your heart, mm-hmm. whether you listen to it or not. I mean, did he know that the that the that the children of Israel? Well, I don't want to go down. That's the same. No, no, argument. I. But it's not quite that, John. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not. I know that we kind of agreed to disagree on that. But the point I'm trying to make, the thing that really hit home to me was that you think, I think, I'll put it for me, I think I know what's in my heart. But what God's really showing me is that I'm wrong. You know, a lot of stuff I think that's in there that I'm that I'm okay about, I'm not okay about, and He wants me to know that. My my takeaway is. He's telling you up front, I reserve the right to test you. Get over it. <laughs> so, well, so, you know, God, this isn't fair. This isn't nice. This life's tough. I, I'm, you know, you need to go through this. Get over that. I, I have the authority to test you. Yeah. So. But what's the purpose of the testing? Well, I understand the purpose. But a lot of people get hung up on the fact that God would never do that to me. Come on. He loves me. I love God. God loves me. He would never test me like this. He told you, I'm going to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have Deuteronomy any... 15, he goes even, even more detail. Okay. So, well, I don't know. That's That, to me, is the takeaway. Okay. Okay. Does anybody else have any thoughts about that? Brandon does. I just want to bring up that he knows the beginning from the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. He knows everything. But, like I say, John is carefully avoiding the predestination versus free will argument because we kind of go down the same path over and over again on that one. But the the point I was trying to make is that I don't know how many times I've been fooled by thinking that I understood the way I reacted, I understood the way I felt about things, that I understood that I was being obedient and I thought I was, and he basically showed me through testing that, well, this is what you thought you were doing, but that's not really why you were doing it, you know. Go ahead. I have experience with a, a sister mm-hmm. because I'm not patient enough at the time, and I lose control easily, <laughs> and she knows that. And she coming and start... Poking the button, yeah, huh? Yeah, after she <laughs> made me um, make an explosion. Mm-hmm. And, and I let her know she loves to do that because she be happy. She have an evil spirit to provoking me to do that. Mm-hmm. And one day when I read the scripture, I say, is you know your brother or sister have something that you provoke did you commit sin. And I tell her, you know my 
um, my weakness. Yeah. And you come in provoking me. You don't pray into growing up. You don't pray for that. You come and use it for evil spirit mm-hmm. to provoking me because you're laughing and you be happy. This is, you commit sin and this is not good. Mm-hmm. After I, she learned that and she go because I tell the text and everything, she stopped doing that. Okay. And you know, this is a testing because she knows I'm a quiet, um, do things, but she say under my face another Lucia. Of course, everybody has. But uh, provoking another one because you want to feel pressure is, is so bad. Well, that's true. That's and, definitely true. Uh, it's so bad. And, and God knows we are. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they be around and around in the desert because he want to clean them. Mm-hmm. They want uh, people obeying it inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, people having their, in, in their hearts only him, mm-hmm. obeying him. But... Uh, you know, when the people are uneducated, they never go to school, they can understand. Mm-hmm. They don't want to listen. They don't follow any instruction. I told you, because I'm working with a people, uh, I'm a, a, a crew leader, and I tell, when I clean in a construction, my boss teach me how to do the, the job, and I need to teach them. Nobody follow. Ugh, they made me angry because I, I lose time, and I need to go when the bus come in check, and I need to go clean where they did. Yeah, they yeah. ready paid then. Yeah. That's the it's an example, you know, what God used us to we learn and growing up. Okay. Margaret's got something. Um, I think I think right here, the fact that he mentions the manna, um, and that's a big one. Okay, and it was pretty much to see if they were going to observe the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That's a good. And one. I be, and I I just wonder how many times they probably went out on the Sabbath just to just find to see. out just to see if they picked it up then <laughs> what would happen yeah. or uh, just well, wondering. The, yeah, the man is a, a good example. That it, yeah. it's certainly for the Sabbath, but it's also you know there was always just enough for one day, just yeah. enough for one day. So yeah. that was to teach him to to learn how to depend upon him for. Yeah, that's good. So I'm I'm not sure people thought it was as important to know what's in your own heart as I did, but it really hit home to me. <laughs> well, and I like the part where he said that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth. I was I'm getting there. You always do that to me, but that's okay. Well, where did... I didn't know you were that far behind, but I because <laughs> well, I thought we were talking about the whole chapter. But um, but so I, as long as you're on that topic, where do we where do we see that? Hear that phrase? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from. Where do, where do, where do else have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. Yeshua said that. When? To who? To who? The when? Sermon on the Mount. No, right? no. Where does no. he? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It was when he to. was being tempted by Satan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah, said, yeah, yeah. he says, you're hungry. You've been fasting yeah, for 40 yeah. days. You can turn these stones into bread. Why don't yeah. you do that so you won't be hungry? And this oh, yeah, is what I he said. That. Well, that's pretty important <laughs> yeah, that, that that's why he I said know. that, you know. Um, but go ahead. Well, also, I was going to refer it back to the to the manna because I think that, you know, we think we have to fix everything. We think we have to do everything. 
And we, you know, and <laughs> we don't really trust him. We don't really trust his words. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I have to say that I do believe that he puts, he lets us, he didn't cause all this stuff, but he lets us go through some of the most devastating things to show us, like, mm-hmm. you really weren't trusting me. You really mm-hmm. weren't, yeah. you know, you thought you could fix everything, and you can't. Yeah. I bet um, this is not a particularly relevant story, but I get to do this since I'm up here, you know. I remember one of the things that God taught me not that long ago, many years ago, really, but uh, I was into the, this was before I understood a lot about my Hebrew roots, and I had gotten involved a little bit with this whole, uh, well, if you want something bad enough and you just pray for it and, and you his name and believe you're going to get it, you're going to get it. And uh, I decided that I really wanted a Volvo station wagon. And so I, uh, I you know, I prayed about that. And I, I claimed it. And I, I you know, I kind of needed a new car. It wasn't like I had to have one, but I needed one. And so I even found one. I found one over at the dealership. And, and... Uh, I, I, I claimed that, and I prayed about that really hard. And um, one time at work, my job wasn't all that uh, demanding sometimes. Uh, this friend of mine and I were talking about that, and I told him, I says, yeah, I've got this Volvo station wagon. I've already got it picked out over here, you know. And, and uh, he says, well, let's go look at it. It's the middle of the day, Wednesday afternoon, right? Okay, fine. So we drove over and looked at it, and while I was looking at this car with this friend of mine, Somebody else came in, bought it, and drove off with it. <laughs> My car. I mean, you know, I was claiming that car. And it took me a while to get over that, but it was clear to me what God was telling me. You know, you don't get to do that. That's not, I'm not your genie in a bottle, right? This is a relationship that's much deeper than that. So I guess my point is, and it, this kind of fits here, when you think you have this all figured out, you don't. You really don't. And so... You need to make sure and give God the ability to teach you more than you think you have figured out. <laughs> anyway, anybody else have anything, Lucia? Oh yeah, about the manna. What you say when they eat in manna is because uh, Lord gave them manna for many days because manna is like a detox. They I start eating. You know, He wanted to detox the body of them to cleanse it to the be, but it's not only. Uh, physical is spirituality because they're eating a lot of uh, food they can supposed to eat because in, uh, in Genesis they give it um, the instruction you eat the seeds, the fruits you know, they don't tell them eat meat at the time when they go in the, de- in the, in the desert for 40 years they don't have a meat mm-hmm. it's because they give it a new uh, way to eating that's where they be in the process, you know, in the 40 days. And for me, the manna is the detoxing their bodies because... Okay. It's a point of view of my That's point fine. of view. That's okay. Let's see, what else was there in here that I wanted to talk about? Um, Michael has a question. Oh. Yes. Go for it. Oh, I wanted to say, um, in regards to that scripture also, he tells us the reason he gave us, the, or them, the manna, was to teach them that man does not live by bread alone. Yes. So I think that's an important point. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. That's good. What does it say about their clothes? 
Well, I find it kind of interesting that with all this, uh, I was doing a, another online study of something similar to this, mm-hmm. and what this guy was talking about was that this is called that trial of fire, mm-hmm. where, and I believe it is to uh, purify the mm-hmm. heart and to strengthen it to um, force a maturity to mm-hmm. to because um, one thing that I uh, had analyzed in the past is that nothing changes without pressure. Nothing changes without um, something forcing you to move, mm-hmm. you know, and I think part of this was also to teach them to get over their own fears as well, because mm-hmm. we can play a whole lot of mind games. So that's where some of the, I believe, some of those trials of uh, yeah. come in to prove, like, oh, I have this in me. Maybe I should take it out. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you where I think you really hit on kind of exactly what I was talking about because, you know, they might have sat there and said to themselves, oh, yeah, you know, I've got faith. I know God's going to take care of us. This this will all work out great. But then they're out there, you know, short with little swords or spears, and these big honker Goliath-type guys are on the other side. It's a little more difficult when you're actually there. You know, you actually have to... to Put yourself on the line for what you think you believe. That's kind of what you're describing, right? And that's that's what happens. That's the whole idea of the wilderness experience. That's why he said he put them in the desert for 40 years, right? So they'd learn that there's something to this. There's there's real stuff here that goes on. I don't know. That's a poor way to put that. But I I understand what you're saying. I agree with you. Brandon. Um, I was going to say that I see a... Um not just those lessons, but other ones, um, contentment. And uh, I think trust is the biggest one because we can't do his will without trust. Mm-hmm. If we don't trust him, how are we going to do what he wants us to do, especially when it's usually um, different than how we would think or perceive? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be our own way and, and, and uh, sometimes very odd, sometimes amazing sometimes extraordinary, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it looks impossible. Um, so if we don't trust him, we, we can't enter mm-hmm. into his will. Mm-hmm. If we can't enter to his will, what, what use are we? I mean, I mean for real. I mean, mm-hmm. he, 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 he doesn't save us for no reason, I don't think. No. I think he does it for a purpose because Scripture says he does everything with purpose. So when he saves, when we're saved, there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. He's got things for us to do. That purpose, yeah. if we don't trust him, I yep. think the biggest part of it is trust. But also, I see they have to learn contentment. I mean, just think you eat manna every day. Yeah, you got to learn not to be grumpy while you eat it. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. They griped about it, didn't I mean, they? So there's a lot of lessons in there. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Also, um, um, he also shown that he provides. It comes from him. You know, they cried out later, and he sent quail. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just manna, but later on... The well, what, right now, that story 
the way the story goes is they were complaining because they were sick and tired of the manna. Right. Right. But, but they and, couldn't get no meat themselves. There was none to be found. Yeah. Well, so, so he, he said, he says, them, if, if you want meat, you I'll want give it, you I'll give to it to me. you until it comes out your nose. Yeah. And but if you want something, you got to go to him. Yeah. That's what that's showing. You know, he knew they'd get sick of the manna. I mean, we like variety. Well, um, I, I, I might push you back a little bit and say that's got to do with your thing about contentment. You know, if, you, if you're provided everything you need with the manna, why would you gripe? So, well, okay. I think, too, what happens when life just doesn't turn out the way you want it to? <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, it just never, you know, it really doesn't sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you still have to trust him. Yes. You know, that's the thing. That's the rub. You know, because because you're used to, I mean, I, for myself, I was used to God doing huge miracles in my life. He was huge. And then the one thing that just destroyed, you know, just destroyed me, you know, it was like such a bat in the face. You know, it's like, <laughs> but then you still have to trust him. Yeah. You have to trust him because he knows what he's doing and he's still in control. He's not like somebody that just... You know. Yeah, yeah, he's not capricious or, no. uh, yeah, and you know, the best place to see that is at the end of the book of Job, right? Yeah. Where yeah. They, they, they've spent the most of the book talking about, oh, I must have done something wrong or all the stuff that, you know, that, that was the difficult, what Job did and, and, and what, what God finally says, you know, he goes through this big long thing about where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and where were you when I did all this stuff and what the feeling, and Job says, you know, Okay, I give. Even if you kill me, you're still God. That's where you have to give. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I think all this stuff is great to, to think about. I had a comment on four. Yes. Uh-huh. Talks in, if you read that out of context and just read that verse. Just verse four? Yeah. If you read that, you'd say, oh, God is awesome. I, the, he did such a miraculous thing to the to the people in the desert. They're they're yeah. Clothes never your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell for these forty awesome. years. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like okay. Your prison shoes never wore out, and your yep. prison clothes never wore out. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I'd rather trade. I'd, I'd rather have to buy a new pair of pants and a new pair of shoes every year, and be a free man and do do some awesome stuff that he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But then the following verse says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so Yahweh your God disciplines you. Now, the word discipline there is, you know, it's trains, right? It teaches, teaches you through experience how to do things, how to, how to act in a way that's uh, commensurate with get the job done. Margaret? Um, it's not related to that. Moving on to seven. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Um, talking about the land, the land of Israel, and how mm-hmm. um, I guess since since it's been reestablished, it's it's amazing how they've been able to take care of the land so that it's productive. Mm-hmm. It's got the resources, it's got the water. Um, I mean, the spring of water is kind of wondrous to see in the desert, southern Arizona. I've seen these springs of water where the water is just Bubbling out of the ground? It yeah. just, it's just like squirting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and uh, uh, also um, the the olive olive and the honey. So there must have been plenty of bees and yep, and, and they had uh, the minerals too. So mm-hmm. um, it's just amazing that uh, um, there's one scripture that says that if if you don't obey, he will withhold the rain, and I think that's. There were times. There were probably times when uh, Israel didn't. Oh yeah, yeah. They didn't were. obey, and there was no rain. There was a drought. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, John? Well, I kind of have a comment on what. Go ahead. About the land, I, I guess I'm curious. Were were these things there before they got there, or not nearly to the uh, to the degree that they. That, the land had the capacity to do. I think the latter. I think I think they were there. I don't think it was a case of them having. It says you're going to do they just gonna, take over? Yeah, there? you're going to enjoy vineyards that you didn't plant and olive groves that you didn't plant, and so there was a lot of it that was just there for sure. I think it probably did better under their their. Well, hand. that's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, were they? So I'm if I could use a term, biblical permaculture. They were <laughs> they were better at that. Mm-hmm. Or, or if if you're following, mm-hmm. if you're in alignment with Scripture, and you're you're you know you're not fighting Yahweh's creation and working alongside it. Yep. That whatever capacity it had right then could have been way more. Yeah. Like with uh, uh, Isaac, when they talked about he had increased the, his wealth by a hundredfold, mm-hmm. even in a drought. Mm-hmm. And it's like that guy knew how to do. How to how to bring wealth from the land, and Jacob did the same thing mm-hmm. with the with the sheep, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But hey, one one on. of the things this says, and that God definitely teaches, is that um, those blessings come not only because you work at it, but also because He blesses you. But He only blesses you if you do your if you're obedient. The, you're yeah. into the sacred contract. Here, here, I agree with that. But I guess my point is, is there's I hate to use the word, but there's kind of a partnership here. One of the things that you were talking about, Randon, was that, you know, we've got to let him uh, have his way. We've got to trust him. But the, if you go too far with that, then, then you, you know, you can envision yourself just sitting there thinking, well, I'm just waiting for God to take care of me. We've all heard the stories about that, you know. We have our part to play, too. Right. Certainly being obedient is right. part of it, but it's also being uh, active. You know, you don't just get there, sit there. And you don't get to lead. lead, but you do have to follow. You have to do that. Yeah, and you have to participate wholeheartedly. Yeah, six six days a week. How about that? Yep. Okay. This this is an interesting. All of this stuff, if you ask me, bears thinking about because you know how are we gonna how are we gonna know how to live if we don't understand how we live with Him? Yeah. So, John, how awesome will it be when you get there? And the Almighty says, there, that house is yours. It's already built. It's already done. Everything's, the rocks have already been removed by someone else from the land. You just got to get in there and start taking care yeah, of it. Yeah, tweaking. I can, I can make these vines. I can prune these vines better. I can get bigger, bigger grapes out of here. Um, I, I um, was learning about when they returned to the land. And they actually worked very hard to develop the land. 
-hmm. There, there was no houses do. built. There was no vineyards there. Mm -hmm. Well, they, that's, it says in here that you, it, there's, I can find it, specific no, places. No, I'm talking about uh, 1948. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a different story, yeah. but yeah, you're right. So, yeah. And that bothers me because according to the prophecy, it's already supposed to be there when they come. Well, that's, um, it's, there's a lot of stuff there now. Yes, but it was supposed to be there when they arrived. Well, okay, that, there's Anyways, yes and no. I just thought I'd bring that up. That's all right, but I guess the, the point is, is they had been dislocated, right? They, uh, they, were, they had been evicted from the land the same way that these people that they're about to overrun were evicted from the land because of their disobedience. Well, let's not forget, not everybody has arrived yet. That, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, when the Palestinians left, they, they did get some of their stuff that they had. Mm -hmm. So like in Jerusalem, there, there was, you know, buildings that they didn't build that yep. they now have. Yeah. I'm looking for some, some good stuff there. Moving along there, he goes on in verse, um, well, he talks about how, you know, you're, the land is really great. You're going to lack nothing, you know, iron, ore, and copper. And then starting in verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise Yahweh your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget Yahweh your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it goes on to talk about, uh, you know, making, uh, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember that Yahweh your God for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. And it occurred to me, it, it occurs to me that that's a lot of what's happened to us. You know, we've, uh, we, we think we're the cat's meow here. We've done all this ourselves. All that Torah stuff's old. We don't, that's old stuff. That's old stuff, yeah. So are you telling me that if you pray after you eat a meal, that's biblical? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then verse 19 really kind of nails it. If you ever forget Yahweh your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations that Yahweh destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying Yahweh your God. So what he's basically saying, if you forget the covenant and if you defect, if you will, and start worshiping other gods, then what's happened to these people will happen to you. What's good for the Gentile goose is good <laughs> for the Israel gander. There you go. Now, you, can, uh, you can basically take that kind of lesson, and that's in Deuteronomy a good half dozen times where he just says, you know, if you if you just, uh, we read it earlier, where God God Himself said, 
Oh, if they just had a heart to obey me, right? I think that's the two hardest things is uh, to get rid of the the stink of Egypt, as I call it, the the mindset of a slave, to get rid of that. They they couldn't do it. All but two couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And making sure you're passing that on to the next generation. That's the thing, yeah. And, and because they'll slip into being a slaves again, and there you go. Yep. Yep. Any other thoughts there? Oh, there's a. Did I miss that thing? Hope it's in mine. So, are we still to? Are still we in danger of uh, thinking we've done this ourselves, and that we're? Uh, if 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 we are. What is the analogy of uh, bowing down to these foreign gods? What are the foreign gods that do you think we might be bowing down to? Today? Mm-hmm. Today. Football. <laughs> social Security. Social Security, man. The Definitely state. Social the state. A cathedral? Or a, yeah. Temple. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big business. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. But we, yeah, we tend to idolize that. Anything but God, huh? Okay, I don't want to go too far down there. I get depressed. Sure. You, you have to, you have to, you know, yeah, now I've started doing But, you know, at the same time, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Let's move on to Chapter 9, unless you have any more comments on 8. You have to be careful about your work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say when you were talking about having faith that um, how easy sometimes it is to have faith in the big things but not the little ones. I mean, you know, like uh, I, a lot of times I've, I have faith that God's going to direct my path in a, oh, we call it a macro sense, you know. But uh, from the day to day, sometimes I'm not so sure. Or at least I certainly don't act like I believe that. You know, oh my gosh, if I don't get this done, it'll never get done. I have to do this, you know. And so, yeah. Well, let's move on to chapter 9. Um, see, that falls into several pieces. I'd like to read chapter 9, starting from the beginning, verse 1, and going through uh, verse 6. So, Deuteronomy 9, 1 to 6. That's a short little section. Does somebody want to read that? Alfonso. Hear, O Israel, you are passing over the Yardim today to go in to dispossess nations greater and stronger than yourselves. 
Cities great and walled up to the Shamayim. A people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who stands before the descendants of Anak. And you shall know today that Yahweh, your Elohim, is he who was passing over before you as a consuming fire. He destroys them and subdues them before you. So you shall dispossess them and destroy them quickly as Yahweh has said to you. Do not think in your heart after Yahweh your Elohim has driven them out before you saying, because of my righteousness, Yahweh has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh your Elohim drives out from before you in order to establish the word which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Yishak, and to Yaakov. And you shall know that Yahweh your Elohim is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. I love this, this little passage. I think it's really, really good. Because, you know, he's, he's just gotten through saying, I'm going to give you all this, this great land flowing with milk and honey and everything. And he says, but he says don't think it has anything to do with you. Because <laughs> you're about as undeserving as they get. But I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people that live there now need to be destroyed. Yeah. So is it possible that Moses is like laying it on here thick here? He's 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 been around these yahoos for forty years <laughs> and he's going way out of his way to point out how pathetic they are. Yeah. And it's hard not to argue with that. Oh yeah. But do we necessarily I mean I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be arrogant here or self righteous, but I think there's a dangerous going, dangerousness going overboard, too. It's like, well, I'm doing the right thing because I'm doing the right thing. Because you told me to do, to do this. That's that. Yeah. And and but it's but easy. It's, it's, it's a question of motivation. I mean, why is God doing this? Well, he's saying it's, because it's not because of you. It's because of your fathers. Well, yeah. that's fine. I Obviously, that's true. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Israel, Israel is supposed to be a nation to all the to a priest to all the world. So they need to they need to have confidence in what they're doing. That needs to be well grounded in righteousness and a, and a consistent remembrance of who they are and why they are and what they're supposed to do. Okay, but I just think so, I, maybe no, it's no, me. No, no, Moses I, is going a little. I, I understand what you're saying, and I guess I would key in on two words. It's the difference between. Confidence and arrogance. Because I think what he's counseling is here is you have no grounds on which to be arrogant. Okay? Confidence is different. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, what you just said, that this generation, it was almost like he's preaching to the choir in this sense, but what he wants them to do is to pass it on to their children. And that's... That's the important thing because, you know, down the generations, that's where it gets lost. Yep. Boy, you're all right. You're right. Lisa, grab it. He said, too, he wasn't just saying it was only because of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Because the only reason he called them out 
was in order to establish the word, in order to establish his word. Mm -hmm. And there, if he doesn't have a people through whom he establishes his word, then okay. what good does anything do? I mean, what have we done in this country? Mm -hmm. I'll buy that. Yep. We've yep. trampled on his word. Yeah, which is um, almost unthinkable when you think about it, right? Because it's, yeah. uh, how, how stupid can we be? Pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because there is nothing yep. else but his word. Yeah. So I can't help but think about when God is sending the prophet to Israel to tell them that a nation is coming to dispossess them, say Jeremiah's coming yep. or Isaiah's time, whatever, Ezekiel. So whenever God's sending the prophet to them to tell them that they're about to be done for, at the same time, he's speaking to that king of that nation to tell them, you're going to go and you're going to take this country. You're going to take this land. So my point is, God is telling Israel that they're about to go in and dispossess a people because of their wickedness. I can't help but think that he has already at this point sent an oracle to them through someone to tell them, just like he did to Israel, you're about to be overthrown because you have walked wickedly. Mm -hmm. And so we don't hear that part of the story. You know, that's another another movie, mm -hmm. you know. But you know that he's already warned these people. Mm -hmm. He gives everybody a warning. Mm -hmm. and, you know, he sent the prophet to Nineveh to tell them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure these uh, sons of Anak have already had someone come on his behalf, yeah. warning them, and then finally tell them disaster's coming. Yep. I think that's one of the fun things about this is because um, you see that God does this throughout history. And he's still doing it, right? And the, the, the people that he chooses to be the instruments of his correction are not necessarily good people, as these guys aren't, right? But they're the ones that he's chosen. And it's all because he's got this plan. He's got this thing all figured out, and all of this stuff is going together in such a way that he's going to accomplish his ultimate goal. But uh, it's really cool to think about that. Another fun thing to think about in this particular case is there's, there's two completely separate reasons given why God's doing this, right? One is, is because of the commitment he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're exactly right. He made that commitment to them because he wanted a people to be his representatives, right? That's fine. The other reason is because these people had it coming, right? And, and he has given them at least 400 years, because he's, he told Abraham, you know, the iniquity of the Amalekites or the Amorites is not yet complete. Uh, and so, so it'll take 400 years for that to happen. So, but he did it. He did it to Israel and then uh, with Assyria. And then the Babylonians did it to the Assyrians. And the Persians did it to the Babylonians. And then the Greeks did it to the Persians. And the Romans did it to the Greeks. And it just on and on and on. And it's, this is the way he does things. It doesn't really say what the wickedness is that the Amorites nope. had done, but it kind of suggests, and I, and I know people can get real squirrely with this as far as the giants in the land and all that, but it's interesting that they're mentioned. Yep. 
Well, there's that. There's uh, kamosh, you know, that uh, the, the burning of the babies in the fire has been mentioned with these guys. So there's all kinds of reasons that are just vaguely alluded to as to why he's, he's not happy. Moloch? Well, who, Kamosh? Who's... Moloch. Moloch. And I, thought, I think those are two names for the same, okay. the same one. Moloch. Yeah. So, but that's a good point. Yep. Yep. That's, that's, the Moloch was the child sacrifice. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the the main, I think you're right when you said Moses still a little hacked off at having had to spend 40 years with these yo-yos. Uh, and so he's basically telling them it hasn't got anything to do with your righteousness that this is happening. Um, on the other hand, I, along with that is the warning against arrogance which is a, a very common thing to have. I mean, like I say, I would even argue that's part of our problem in society today is our arrogance, right? So, and I don't remember, we, we went through the, you know, the next book after this is the book of Joshua, where they actually do the, most of the times that they're the good things, the, the things you're supposed to do. Yep. And I'm just wondering if, you know, everybody has a different personality, and Moses has his, pers- his personality and his way of, of leadership, and then you have Joshua. I, w- I got the sense that, just going by memory, that he would have been a much more, we can do this. You know we can do this. Let's just do it. Yeah. And they didn't have to go <laughs> browbeat these guys and, and point out their yep. multiple shortcomings and uh, iniquities. Yeah, yeah. But I can say Moses is an emotional guy. There's no two ways about it. Let's see. We got time yet. Let's, uh, let's read some more of Chapter 9 because the rest of this is kind of a fun little exercise. Uh, I'll read. I haven't read. Chapter 9, starting in verse 7. Um, Remember this, and never forget how you provoked Yahweh your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against Yahweh. At Horeb, you aroused Yahweh's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that Yahweh had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. Yahweh gave me two-tone tablets, stone tablets, inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments that Yahweh proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, Yahweh gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then Yahweh told me, go down from here at once, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves. And Yahweh said to me, I have seen this people and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I might destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And when I looked, I saw that you had sinned against Yahweh your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that Yahweh had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. 
Then once again I fell prostrate before Yahweh for forty days and forty nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin that you had committed, doing what was evil in Yahweh's sight and so provoking him to anger. I feared the anger and wrath of Yahweh, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, Yahweh listened to me. And Yahweh was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you had made, and I burned it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it to powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. You also made Yahweh angry at Teberah, at Masa, and at Kibroth Hataava. And when Yahweh sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of Yahweh your God, and you did not trust him or obey him. You have been rebellious since against Yahweh ever since I have known you. <laughs> I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because Yahweh had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to Yahweh and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because Yahweh was not able to take them out into the land, he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out and put them to death in the desert. But they are your people, your inheritance, that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. That is a different telling of the golden calf thing. <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> they'd say, we your people. I got to guess, like, it's like, you know, we did this as parents. You know, Jen Kittins says, go look what your sons have done. <laughs> go ahead, Marvin. This is the first time I've noticed in this that he went a long time without eating. Yep. Drinking. There's, there's pardon. Drinking, too. No right, water. But, I mean, we're talking about the first 40 days and yep. nights up on the mountain. And, and then, then the second, second yep. 40 days and 40 nights. That's amazing. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. He did. And he's telling them all about it, too, boy. <laughs> so you listen to, to man, and they say, no one can live beyond three days without water. But he's clearly said here that he's gone 40 days twice without water. Mm-hmm. Clearly showing a miracle of God because it's it's known the body can't make it three days without water. Yeah. You can go many days without food, but not without water. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting here, let's just for a moment advance forward in this scenario from, say, 26 on. And let's think about us as the scattered people abroad, Ephraim. And so we're praying and we're saying, Oh, Sodom Lord, do not destroy your people, your inheritance that you redeemed by great power and brought out of captivity, which is what he's done for us with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook our stubbornness of the people and all of the wickedness and the sin. Otherwise, all of the nations of the earth would say the Lord was not able to fulfill his oath to bring them out of the nations. See, we can apply the same principle that 
Moses applied here with us because an oath is he's promised something about us that he would bring us out from the nations. Mm -hmm. And so we need to really pay attention to how Moses intercedes here because that's a similar way that we should intercede for all of us as a people uh, on our behalf to him. That's a good point. Remembering him of his covenant and remembering him that that the nations are watching. Yeah. You know, they're they're looking. But going along with what you say, there's going to come a time, hopefully in my lifetime, when uh, it'll be obvious to most people that God's moving his people back together. He's, he's joining the two sticks, and they're going to be in the land that he originally promised to them. And I want to be able to say, well, of course. It says right here that's what he was going to do. All right? You want to be able to say, and he's not going to, he's not going to back down on the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Speaking of that, I was happy that my friend Renee Ackerman, who is totally Jewish, but she said that she it, she's made Aliyah to Israel. She said that um, she's the one that said to the, this time she used Isaiah, and she said, "Well, it says in the prophets all this is going to happen." Yeah, I mean, at least she at least she recognizes it. Reads, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that well, so, oh yeah, we can we can sit here and debate, you know, little nits and and tittles in the in the scriptures, but most people don't even know what they say, even in general. I know, <laughs> I know, and that's why I was so impressed with Renee because I was like, thank you, Renee. Yeah, because she's one of my friends in Israel that actually reads it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. This is it's really pretty exciting stuff. I get a kick out of the so, whale. Go ahead. What was the difference you were talking? Well, one of the big differences, we talked about the fact that uh, Aaron was real complicit in this whole golden calf thing. As a matter of fact, that's where we got the, the I think this sits at the end of the book of Exodus, you know. And, and Aaron, when Moses comes down and, and confronts Aaron, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron says, well, I took, you know, everybody's earrings and stuff, and I put them in the fire, and out popped this calf. You remember that? That's that's the funniest line I've ever read. But anyway, um, and I remember we had the discussion about how come Aaron seemed to get off so easy with this because he was uh, he was you know he confessed that he was he felt unable to stand up to the people. He didn't feel like he had the the strength of character or whatever to be able to tell them no, and so he went along with them. But we often wondered. I mean, as a group, I, I remember every time we go through this. How come he got off kind of seemingly scot-free? And it says here, well, he didn't really. And if, if he hadn't, if Aaron or Moses specifically says, I prayed for Aaron. Where was it here? It's in verse 20. And Yahweh was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time I prayed for Aaron too. So Aaron was due to get the same thing that God wanted to do to the Israelites. And so, uh, he didn't do it. So... Let's say that's he's not embellishing there. I know we'd want to say that we wouldn't want to encourage that at all. But yeah. it, I mean, the the original thinking was, if Aaron would have gotten killed, there'd be no priest for mm-hmm. to do the things that needed. You know. To yeah. Do. Well, that that's still true. Right. But yeah. it, it, that happened because Moses intervened. Yes. According to what he's saying here. Yes. Well, and it. Yeah. That's exactly right. So if Aaron dies, all of Israel dies. Well, you have to start over with Moses. Yep, and but that's what God was willing to do. 
Well, and I think it was a test for Moses because it was also, do you believe what I said yeah. about my covenant? Yeah. You know, do you, do you actually think, and I think that's why Moses stood up and said, well, you can't do that because, yeah. because they're going to say this and that. Because he knew the promise. He yeah. knew the actual Well, he promise. knew the promise, but I thought that Moses' argument was brilliant. Yeah, he it says, was He great. says, if you do that, yeah. what are the Egyptians going to think about you? Right. You know, what, how can you do that? You told them you weren't going to do that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it, it shows how humble Moses is. Instead yeah. of Moses saying, okay, make me a great nation. Yeah. Yeah, he was Just like interested. when he was in Egypt as a prince, he yeah. says, no, I'll be a slave. Yeah. Moses was extremely humble. That's true. And, and That's true. wasn't looking out for himself. Yeah. The other thing that I always like to point out, and it, it was true in this telling of the story as well as the telling of the story back in Exodus, where when this is happening and God is so wrathful, you know, he tells Moses, step away. Get out of the way so that I can destroy these people, right? And I always think it's important that he says it. He says it here, too. Um, no, he, he said, verse 14, let me alone. This is God talking. I have seen this people, and they are stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them. And I think that's a really strong statement as to the, the value of, intercessory prayer, if you will. Because God said, Moses, you stand over here, and I'll zap all those guys. But Moses wasn't. He, he said, no, I'll stay here. And God, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so if God knows everything, he knows Moses is going to say the right thing. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Then you're saying that this wrath was just kind of a put on. No, I'm not saying that. Well, I, to me, that those two things don't square. Yeah. I'm saying Moses did an awesome thing here, period. And it didn't have to be, it was not dependent on God knowing that he was going to do this or not. Well, if, if, when you take away that emotion that he's, that's being described there, you're, the, you're, the emotion? you're saying God, to me anyway, it's, it's like, well, it's just a big put on. It's a good act. He's a good actor. God's just a good actor. No, I understand you say that, and I can understand why you have a problem with it, but it's because you can't wrap your mind around the fact that just because God knows everything that's going to happen doesn't give us the ability to make decisions to the contrary. I mean, it doesn't take that away from us. We still have the ability to choose. He just happens to know how that choice is going to be. Sorry. I mean, that's what it says. Go ahead. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, no. Uh, well, this, this is a longstanding thing um, that John and I have going on. The, <laughs> the other thing is, is that, you know, even if Yahuwah knows the future, we, we're still, it's still, he's still dealing with the present. Yep. I, I mean, we can't understand what that's like. I mean, He's in the future, he's in the present, and he's in the past. Yep. I mean, just try to wrap your mind around that. You can't. Before you start you deciding can't. if I mean, he really st- had emotion about yep. it or was acting. The- because I can't even picture you- how to be that way. You can't. The, the, the phrase I so, heard for that, we're stuck so, in time and he's not. Right. So he put himself in that present moment. Yeah. 
Because that's where Moses is. Yeah. He couldn't be in the future at the time while yeah. dealing with Moses because Moses is there now. It, I, I, that's how I see it. That's fine. So, so that's fine. whether he knew what's going to happen or not, he's still feeling it. Yep. He's st- he's in the present moment. Yep. That's how I see it. Yep. There, there are. The thing is, it's physically impossible for us to do that. The, the, my point of my argument isn't to argue that I can understand. As a mere mortal, I can understand the eternal one. That's not my point. Okay. My point is, if you have in the back of your mind, oh, God's just going to fix this anyway. Then, you, then your attitude has changed. If you don't believe that Moses actually did this and believed he needed to do this, because if he didn't do it, they were actually going to get all wiped out, then your attitude is different. It's on us. That's fair. We have control of our own attitude. That's fair. And if you, if you let yep. theology get in the way. Oh, okay, I'll give you that. Okay. Uh, you haven't completely changed my mind, but I'll give you that. I would like to say this in John's behalf. My Rabbi Wasserman actually agrees with kind of with John yep. that that there are times when he doesn't know when he he may know but he doesn't really know that that That's what you were saying. That, that, that like you said he's still in the present and so um, you know so our words do mean something to him and and you know I agree with John in that in that regard is that our words have to mean something to him or, you know, he wouldn't be acting. No, I, I, I'm not taking any of that away. I guess a, an analogy would be there wasn't a Moses prior to, to Noah to step up to the plate and, and do what had to get done. So he said, what does God say? He says, I, 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 you know, I wish I never would have created man. Yeah. Again, it's like, well, is, does he just really believe that, or is it we just supposed to, like, you know? Now, I can't know this, but this is just to try to give some kind of form to this, these thoughts that we all are having, because really none of us know, because we can't be in the future, the present, et cetera. Yep. But I have had, I've had glimpses of the future before, and one of them um, is... Before my youngest, my youngest brother died last year, and I knew he was going to, and I haven't seen him in years, haven't been in the same state, and barely talked to him, but I knew. Okay, so you would think knowing almost a year beforehand or a year beforehand, I'm prepared, right? No. Not at all. The emotions were just as real if I didn't know. Yep. Just as real. That's 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 a when good that point. pain came and that frustration came and that confusion came. Yep. It had nothing to do with if I I'm out I'm not in that future no more. Yeah. It's as if I didn't know. Yeah. And that's just a true statement there. So I, I'm I'm not even gonna try to put myself in the position of, of Yahuwah. No, no, and who, you're who, who, who not seen only the end of the world when he created it. Yeah. You know? Not only can you not but it doesn't serve any purpose to. And you're right. He puts himself in the present time. He These emotions that he presents here. I mean, God acts and God gets mad. God doesn't get mad. But he presents himself as getting mad because we can relate to that. You know, a lot of the stuff he does, I'm convinced he does because it's the only way we can come close to understanding him. And he must get mad because we get mad. And it, you know, I'm just saying. That's fair. You know. Okay. 
Anyway, I always, I always end up this whole thing because it's so confusing is you need to be comfortable with the fact that God's God and you're not. So, anyway, I like this stuff. The book of Deuteronomy is just great. Let's see, I wonder, oh, we didn't finish the stuff here toward the end there. We got talked about the golden calf for a little bit. Um, then he goes on and he mentions a couple of others. In verse 22, he talks about you made uh, God angry at Taborah, at Massa, and Kibroth Hata. What happened at Taborah? I don't remember. Beg your pardon? What happened at Taborah? I don't oh, remember. Oh, let's see. I, I, I think I, I basically put links here and says go read about them. But they, they were places where, where the people rebelled. It's where they, they refused to, you know, for what I think one of them was the... Numbers you know, 11. Yeah, Numbers 11, 3 was one of them. We just read this. We're, we're in this portion right now. It's Sabbat, Numbers 11. Num- okay. Okay, what was it that we just read then? I don't know. <laughs> and when the people complained, it displeased Yahweh, and, and Yahweh heard it, and his anger was kindled in the fire, and Yahweh burnt among them and consumed them that were in the mid- uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto, y- unto Yahweh, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah because of the fire of Yahweh burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did. Yep. Eat in Egypt. So it was the quail out of the nose thing. But anyway, there were three other times during the wilderness deal where the people just tried God's patience, and he said, you know, he basically says, man, how long do I have to put up with this? And Moses is basically saying, and I helped you through all of that stuff. But his argument was consistently, if you if remember the remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if you do that, what are you going to tell the Egyptians? <laughs> I think that's a great argument. Verse twenty nine of the chapter says, "But they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power." By your outstretched arm, he put it back on God, didn't he? Yeah. He started off with your people are down yeah, there yeah. doing these terrible things. Yeah, and, yeah. and Moses says, <clears throat> "You mean yeah. your people? Yeah, they're your people." <laughs> let's let's be for quitting, if that's all right. This, I really like these. I, I don't know why. I I really like the Book of Deuteronomy. Moses was what? Oh, he clearly was. Yeah. Yeah. Moses did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Yep. Yep. Um, there's, like I say, if you read through, oh, I've, I think it was King Josiah was one of the, you know, whatever the, the kingdom of Israel split into two halves, the northern kingdom from that day forward never had a, a king that 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 uh, believed Yahweh. The southern kingdom had a couple. The southern kingdom, Judah, most of them were were idol worshippers too. But one of them was Josiah. Go ahead, John. So if we're from the northern kingdom, we we should despise kings of the earth because they're none of them are any good. Yeah. 
So never give them power. There you go. I'll buy that. But anyway, Josiah was a young king, and uh, he he had the he. It was God laid it upon his heart to revive the worship of of Yahweh, and he uh, got the priests to to clean out the temple, and they were cleaning out the temple, and they ran across this old scroll, and the the old scroll was the law and. Uh, Legend has it that it was the book of Deuteronomy. And when uh, Josiah read it, it made him cry. And so they, that was the, uh, the start of a revival. Because, and, I, and I can believe that about it, the book of Deuteronomy. Is the next, chap- the next chapter the one that says, the kings shall write this book, or is that later on? I don't know. I don't think I don't it's, want to, uh, I don't I don't think it's the next there. chapter. Okay, never mind. But, but uh, it's, it's in here somewhere. The king, the king needs to write a copy of the, the Torah for himself. It is written somewhere. Yeah, it is written somewhere. Yeah, but obviously, if you had to write this, you'd you'd get a lot out of it. I mean, you know, we're just we're reading it and discussing it and getting a lot out of it. Imagine writing it. Yeah, well, that's got to be good for you. Any other thoughts before we leave? We'll get together next week and yeah. Yes, that's fine. Let me what, can, let me get you the microphone here, if that's all right. Coming down with the tablets, and it's always the Ten Commandments. But was it like just the Ten Commandments, or was it all the commandments? That's a that's a good question. One of the ones we often get into was it was it five on one and five on the other, yeah. you know? And what we finally decided, or what I finally decided, and this we can argue about it, was that it's basically two copies of the same contract. God had his copy, and we had our copy. And so there are two copies of the same contract. Now, my opinion about whether it's all of the Torah or just the Ten Commandments is that it probably is somewhere in between. That's my opinion. Because I don't think you could get all of this stuff on there. But on the other hand, I think it probably had more than just the, the bare ten. But that's just an opinion. Yeah, well, we may know when we get there. This is why if it was just the ten, five on one, five on the other, and you had the other copy, this is why the book of the Torah was placed beside it as a witness. Okay. Okay. Um, The Sabbath commandment is 8 through 11, and it's the longest commandment. Mm -hmm. So... I don't think five would have fit on there evenly. <laughs> no, they won't fit evenly. I guarantee you that. Because you can get about, uh, what is it, number uh, six, seven, eight, nine, take up about two lines. They're written by the finger of God. <laughs> I think he, there's a lot of things that could happen. Yep. You know, he early say we, the, in the commandment is 613. Yep. If you summarize six times, uh, six uh, plus three is nine plus one is ten. Mm-hmm. The six hundred thirteen is became tenth commandment. Okay. I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the discussion, and I really thank you for this group of people that just loves your Torah. Um, help us to to think on these things, to meditate on them as we go through the week, and thank you so much for giving this to us and allowing it, keeping it, protecting it uh, for these many years that we can actually sit here at this time and uh, and discuss it. I just thank you for 
for all that you've done for us and that all you're going to do in our lives. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry. Okay, thank you.